Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa, and I'm going to share an amazing Roman monument with you today. Just a quick reminder before the episodes get started, all sources and images referenced will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find that link in the episode description, as well as on Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. The Circus Maximus, although it looks quite different today, is one of the most awe-inspiring sites in the city of Rome. It once served as a massive entertainment venue, primarily dedicated to chariot racing. Amazingly, the Circus Maximus could seat about 150,000 spectators. Because of its grandeur and importance, the space served as an inspiration for circuses all around the Roman Empire. So to learn more about it, keep on listening. And a special thank you to listener Laura for sponsoring today's episode. Before we dive into the specifics of the Circus Maximus, I think it's important to understand what a circus was in ancient Rome. One of my personal favorite facts is that the word circus was used because it's Latin for the word circle, although technically they were oval shaped, but I digress. The idea for a large public entertainment space was not invented by the Romans. It was likely inspired by the ancient Greek hippodromes and then expanded upon. Because circuses served so many purposes for the Romans, entertainment, religion, etc., They were the center of life, similar to what we discussed about forums last week. I like the way that Edward Gibbons summed it up in his book, The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Quote, Considered the circus as their home, their temple, and the seat of the Republic. The Circus Maximus is located in the valley between the Aventine and Palatine Hills. The Aventine is Rome's southernmost hill, and the Palatine is its centermost and arguably most famous of the city's hills. Both are steeped in mythology, including an important story from the founding era. These two hills were where Romulus and Remus held their augury contest to determine who got to name and rule the new city. In the majority of the stories, Remus built his tent on the Aventine, and his brother Romulus built his on the Palatine. Augury contests are all about reading signs from the birds. These signs were sent directly from the gods and were quite auspicious. In the story, Romulus sees more birds than his brother, and therefore was chosen by the gods to create the city that bears his name. Because of this, the Aventine wasn't technically a part of Rome in its founding. In fact, it wasn't brought into the city until the reign of Rome's fourth king, Ancus Marcius. As I mentioned in the last episode, Rome is prone to flooding because of its proximity to the Tiber River. By blocking off the river, the valley dried out. There is evidence that it was used for chariot races from the early days of the city's founding but it was likely just a few posts to indicate where the track was and people would sit around it. But because of the humidity caused by the nearby river, these posts would have rotted away quickly. Therefore, stone pillars were built and they were likely the first permanent part of the circus. Over the next several centuries, starting tracks, spectator seating, religious spaces, and decorative entrances were added by the rulers of Rome. It had truly become a center of entertainment and religious life of the city. When Julius Caesar came to power in the mid-first century BCE, he extended the seating even further, wrapping it around the entire circus. This is what allowed over 100,000 people to enjoy the spectacle. In 31 BCE, a fire damaged part of the Circus Maximus. Augustus repaired the damage, but also added a grand monument, an Egyptian obelisk. This was brought from Heliopolis after his victory at the Battle of Actium. Moving it would have cost a ton of money, but Augustus wanted his people to know that he had conquered the mighty Egypt and was going to form a great empire. The obelisk was also the first in Rome, and it started a grand tradition. Other additions over the centuries included an arch dedicated to Titus in 81 CE, and a palace built above the circus by Domitian, 
who wanted to watch the races but not necessarily mix with the crowds. However, the circus was still largely made of wood at this time. This left it prone to fires and rotting from the damp soil. So Trajan ordered the entire circus be rebuilt in stone. For the most part, this was a good idea. It helped with longevity and sturdiness. Unfortunately, there were still tragedies, including a section collapse that killed 13,000 people during Diocletian's reign. After everything was said and done, the Circus Maximus became the largest circus in the empire, measuring at 2,037 feet or 621 meters in length and 387 feet or 150 meters in width. Next, I'm going to discuss more about the purpose of the Circus Maximus, but first, let's take a quick break. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi there, my name is Annalisa and I'm the founder of Accessible Art History. My goal is to bring art history content to anyone that is curious. All my platforms can be accessed for free, but there are ways that you can support the cause. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rate and review on your favorite platform. I also have a Patreon and a Buy Me A Coffee account set up if you feel inclined to support accessible art history monetarily. However, I will always work to bring content for free because I believe that education should be accessible for those who want and need it. Thank you for listening, and now let's get back to the episode. Alright, now that we're back, let's talk about chariot racing. These were the main spectacles of the Circus Maximus. At its peak, there were enough stalls to accommodate 25 four-horse chariots known as quadrigas. It's important to note that eventually team racing was introduced, so stalls were combined to make room for that. Although the stalls were all released at the same time, due to the oval shape of the circus, there were obviously better spots than others. So there was a lottery system made to determine which riders slash teams were in which stalls. Teams and riders wore different colors, red, white, blue, and green, so spectators could tell who was who. This led to a sharp division and even some conflict because people would get so passionate about their teams. Honestly, it's not much different than today's sports rivalries, though I haven't heard about any cursed tablets being made against opposing teams. Yeah, that was a thing in ancient Rome. However, not everyone was a fan of these races. They were seen as spectacles for the common people, and many of the social elites found it distasteful especially the mob-like devotion to teams. Although that didn't include all the elites. The maligned Emperor Nero was a huge fan of horse racing and even rode in chariot races himself. This was a big faux pas, though admittedly not the worst of his reign. The historian Tacitus even wrote, quote, for such is a crowd eager for excitement and thrilled if the emperor shares their tastes. Chariot races lasted seven laps. Starting in the second century BCE, these laps would be counted by giant bronze egg sculptures. About a hundred years later, large statues of dolphins were added higher up so that the entire crowd could see how many laps had passed. We aren't sure exactly why these symbols were chosen, but there are a few theories. Firstly, eggs are a symbol of Castor and Pollux, who were born from a swan egg, and they were patrons of horse riders. The dolphins were possibly created in connection to Neptune. Besides being the god of the sea, he was also associated with horses. Regardless of what they truly meant, they certainly paint a great visual. The Circus Maximus was not just about chariot racing, though. It was also a religious space for the people of Rome. 
There were two shrines there, both somewhat obscure deities. The first, located in the southeast perimeter, was dedicated to Merkia, a goddess associated with Venus. Within the shrine, there was a myrtle shrub and a sacred spring. The other shrine, located underground near the southeastern turning point, was dedicated to Consus, a minor god of the grain store, who was associated with the grain goddess Ceres and the underworld. It was said to have been found by Romulus shortly after the founding of the city. He utilized this to create the Consuelia, festival where he kidnapped saving women. As the circus in Rome developed, Consus became the patron of the structure. Another connection to the divine were the cults of the sun and the moon. The god Apollo and the goddess Luna both rode chariots in the sky as they moved the celestial objects. Apollo had an obelisk in a temple, while Luna had just a temple in the Circus Maximus. There is a connection to chariot racing and religion. The Roman government would throw ludi, or games, in connection with religious festivals. These often included races as spectacles and helped reinforce the cult of the state. It's fascinating to see how there really was no separation between church and state and fun in ancient Rome. After Rome fell in 476 CE, the Circus Maximus wasn't used nearly as often. By the end of the 6th century, it was in complete disrepair. It flooded, was used as a refuse pile, houses were built near it, and stone was taken and reused. Plus, the obelisks were taken and moved to other places in Rome. However, with the rise of the neoclassical movement, excavations took place near the Circus Maximus. Part of the seat and tracks were uncovered. Unfortunately, due to its use as a refuse area, the original structure is several meters below modern-day Rome. This prevents archaeologists to dig further because it would lead to the flooding of the site. Today, the Circus Maximus serves, still serves the public as a park. It's a lovely green space where visitors can relax and take a break from the hustle and bustle of the modern metropolis. In addition, several concerts have been held at the space, including Live Age and the Rolling Stones. The Circus Maximus is one of the most important sites in ancient Rome because it bridged the gap between entertainment and religion. These aspects were so intertwined in that age and it can tell us so much about society thousands of years ago. Make sure to tune in next week when I discuss the Forum of Augustus. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history for updates and keep an eye out on the next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform. If you prefer to listen on YouTube, you can find episodes on there about two weeks after the episodes are posted. Cheers and see you next week.